Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Andrew Jed is a multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter, a studio musician, and a record producer. His songs have been featured globally in films, ads, and TV shows. He's got what you could call a multi-genre focus. From indie singer-songwriter Americana, alternative, and mainstream pop, to hip-hop, deep groove, and cinematic soundscape, and super fun kids' music. He's from the States, but he's currently living in South Africa, and he's in studio with me today. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Good. Good. Firstly, I mean, how did you find your way here? Uh, Google Maps, actually. <laughs> I mean, to South Africa? <laughs> oh, that. Well, uh, this is actually the second time we've lived here. Uh, my wife works in global health and HIV specifically, and there seems to be a relatively large need mm-hmm. for that here in South Africa. And, um, you know, there's a really cool music scene here as well. So uh, it all sort of fit together. And that's how we actually moved from L.A. to here, which was quite a shift. I mean, that is so interesting that you say a cool music scene because we complain about it a lot. So it's interesting <laughs> that someone from the States would come here to our music scene. Obviously, you have reasons to be here. We're going to talk about that just now. Okay. I'm going to start at the beginning. Let's do that. Why music? What do you hear? <laughs> I mean, that's always an interesting question, all right? You know, like um, some people might say they heard an amazing song and they wanted to be a part of that. I think that you know, for most musicians, you kind of don't have a choice, really. You know, it's something that, you know, as you grow older, it seems like that's really your only option in your soul of what you can do. Tried looking for other things. Uh, I originally wanted to be an actor. And, um, you know, that was fun and all, but I realized I didn't love it. You know, like, when it got to that point, which is true with any art that you got to really spend your whole life thinking about it and, and really working your craft. I was like, eh, I don't love it that much. I don't like playing other characters. And the cool thing about music and songwriting and uh, being in the industry, music industry, is you really just are yourself. You get to be yourself and you put yourself out there, uh, not behind the guise of kind of a written character, but for who you are. Mm. I dug that. I thought that that was authentic and real. To give context to listeners about you, what three to five highlights could you give of your career timeline? Oh, geez. Okay. Three, three, specifically three to five. Uh, it could be more, it can be less. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to keep it within the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Basically, like I said, I wanted to be an actor. So I kind of grew up with that, kind of slowly picked up the guitar. And then I went to university and kind of tried to study that, but ended up in a band with some people. And it turned out that band kind of became popular in town. And uh, we're like, oh, all right, this is working, so let's keep doing it. And the band developed and played a lot of shows. This was in the late 90s and uh, kind of grew and grew. We started, you know, touring in the States and then working on records with people in Nashville and L.A. and things like that. And um, as is the case with most bands, that one ended, at which point, you know, I decided to move from we were in Colorado I decided to move from there to L.A., put myself in the music scene there. And it was fantastic. LA is crazy. It's it's amazing. The quality of musicianship is through the roof, and that really challenges you to become a great artist. 
and ended up playing in bands there, a session musician on the side. And, and through the years of doing records in a band context, I sort of learned and watched as producers would do records for us or that I would sit in the studio and, and you know, be a session muso, as you say here in South Africa, on these records and kind of slowly try to pay attention. And as my songwriting was developing, started going, maybe I should just record myself. It's cheaper. Mm. And uh, really developing that idea that, you know, as a songwriter, I need to cut my own demos and get my, you know, my brain into to mixing records. And then, you know, a band in LA developed. And all of this was around the time that artists were getting discovered, not because they were touring really hard, but because music syncs were starting to happen. And that means that songs were getting placed on TV shows. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's happened in the past. But for some reason, the industry shifted to where an artist didn't have to necessarily go tour, jump in a smelly van and drive around the country and build up these pockets of markets. They could work to get themselves on a TV show. And all of a sudden, without even leaving your house, all of a sudden, you can just be known. Yeah. And that became sort of the way in the industry. So obviously living in LA around a lot of, you know, TV producers and things like that, editors on shows, you know, they started looking for songs. Hey, do you have a song that could fit in this scene? And so because I was engineering uh, and songwriting from a home bedroom, basically, you know, I started to fall into that licensing world. And mm -hmm. then from there, it became more and more apparent that that's really kind of one of the last standing ways that an artist can sort of make a living. And so that launched into sort of my concept of spending more time producing, writing, thinking a lot about where I came from through the band era, mm -hmm. you know, through a session musician and realizing I could do all of this sort of on my own and then have folks represent me for, for working on songs in all kinds of mixed media and things like that. And that's what then allowed me ultimately to step away from L.A., continue doing music, but you can do it from anywhere. You know, you can do it from a studio, you can do it from a kitchen, you can do it from a hotel bathroom, mm. if that's where you are. That's been the journey. So I don't know if that fits into the three to five situation, but... That's your career timeline. That's perfect. In fact, <laughs> it gives a lot of context, actually. And I have a question uh -huh. about your sinks for a moment. So... Mm -hmm. Do you record them yourself or do you often get in session users to play with you or record the vocals? How does it work? For me specifically mm -hmm. as an artist, I'm sort of what in the industry they call a one-stop shop. Uh -huh. Basically, I write the songs because yeah. I can't not write songs. And uh, I'm also a musician, so I play just about everything I can on the album and I sing. And as a result, you know, I end up sort of shaping these songs around every instrument that I can play. You know, I can't play every instrument. That would be ridiculous. And so, obviously, if I need someone to sit in on a track, you know, I'll hire someone to sit in with me. But I basically have learned how to produce those songs, mix them and engineer them, uh, learn what it means to master a track. The one thing that's pretty industry-specific is I don't necessarily get what's called the the briefs from um TV producers or, or ad agencies, that has to go through someone who's sort of specifically connected. And those are sync agents. Those are individuals who really aren't necessarily musicians themselves. Maybe they are, but they kind of go, okay, you know, so this ad agency that is, you know, keeping their name quiet, but let's just say they make caffeinated fizzy beverages. <laughs> they're looking for this kind of a song. And then they'll pitch, you know, songs, my songs, other artists' songs. And mm -hmm. If the producers go, yes, that's it, we want to sync that song into the ad, you know, or into the TV spot, 
then you take it from there and contracts are worked out and things like that. Wonderful. I mean, it's nice to hear that people can still make money in the music uh, industry. <laughs> well, things are, things are absolutely changing, mm. for sure. And, you know, I'm not the only person who's sort of in this world of licensing songs for any sort of environment, you know, for any sort of mixed media. Mm. Everybody is. And super famous artists, you know, so they're going to go, hmm, am I going to pick an Andrew Jed song or am I going to pick a Rolling Stones song, you know? Yeah. And they go, well, I can't afford the Rolling Stones, but I can afford Andrew. And so you're up against a lot of that, you know? And then, of course, obviously, the, you almost have to sometimes, your song has to almost say the exact word that the producers might be looking for. And, you know, that's not common. So anyway, as a result of the fact that there's so many people involved in it, that, of course, drives, you know, sync budgets down, you know? And we're musicians. We'll always be like, oh... Yeah, sure, I'll do that for $100. Yeah. You know, when the budget actually should be six figures, they're like, oh, 100 bucks is fine. This is why it's so competitive, because there are so many people who want to do it and who can do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And computers are coming stock with recording software, mm. which is super awesome, super, super cool. But it just, you know, it, it makes it so that people can do actually ultimately what I did and learn how to do it themselves yeah. at no cost. You know, these TV shows and ads and, and films, they're not necessarily even looking for polished materials. Sometimes, you know, you'd be surprised, something that's like a demo. And all you musicians out there, you can hear me on this one. You don't have to have a perfectly polished song or recording. Sometimes, you know, I see these briefs come through and it's like, yeah, we don't want something sounding straight out of the studio. You know, we want something raw and visceral. So I think that that's important as indie artists to understand like, hey, you can still be in this world, even if you haven't spent, you know, your life savings to walk into some amazing studio to record it. And those days are kind of over mm -hmm. to a large degree. I mean, that is really nice to hear. Mm -hmm. Encouraging. I suppose what's so nice about the whole change, I guess, of the music industry is how much more global reach, mm -hmm. we have, particularly as South Africans, we feel so far away. And this is where I want to find out. When you say we have a cool music scene here, mm -hmm. I want to hear from your perspective how you see that, how you see the scene here. So I guess when I say it's a cool music scene, it's a challenging music scene. But there's so much talent mm. in this country. I've gotten the opportunity to work with some fairly well-established artists in this country, and I am always just dumbfounded at the skill level, mm. whether it's hip-hop artists or Afrikaans you know, artists people who want to be in the pop scene and sing in English. You know, obviously some of those in South Africa in particular, some of those industries are known for making more money than others. Yeah. But what I'm just struck by is the raw talent. But what I sort of feel bummed about to some degree is that South African artists sort of seem to feel like they're isolated. Yeah. Like they almost don't have any reach to these other markets. Luckily, that's changing. And so I think it gives the super talented artists that are here an opportunity to start recording themselves at low cost, yeah. experimenting, getting out of sort of what they think a song should sound like and exploring creativity that is innate in all these South African artists. And I think that there's opportunity there. Yeah. As social media, as the internet is allowing artists for broader reach from every corner of the world, you know, I think that's an opportunity to flourish for the artists here. That's more or less what I mean by the, the music scene here. And what's also really cool here is that, you know, the fan base, the people who want music, they freaking love music here. Yes. You know, even if they <laughs> even if they sit there and, and don't smile or dance, 
they're absorbing everything these artists are putting out. I have watched at these festivals, at these shows, how people in the crowd just love it mm -hmm. so much more than I think I've experienced in a lot of markets in the States where people kind of take music for granted almost. You know, it's so ubiquitous. But here it's like, oh, you're saying something and I love it. I'm not smiling but <laughs> and I'm sitting still. Uh, and maybe some of the Afrikaans artists can resonate with that. But they absolutely absorb it and love it. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's incredibly encouraging. Well, be encouraged, man. <laughs> Let's talk about your creation process. Okay. What drives you to create? As we talked about earlier on, you know, you wrestle as an artist. You're like, you know, I wish I had something that had better payoff financially, mm -hmm. you know. But you realize you just can't stop. You know, it's who you are. I think what drives me creatively is is ultimately trying to challenge myself to produce better content that draws more attention Obviously, I'm in the industry and constantly driving for those licenses, replacements on ads and shows mm -hmm. and movies and stuff like that. So I always have to keep writing and have to keep producing. So that largely drives what I do. And then, you know, the idea that that skill set is developing and you can work and collaborate with other artists and bring them into your world and you can go into their world. And yeah, I'm I'm a big encourager. I think that artists need to be provided opportunities to get to be artists, mm. you know? And so a lot of what drives me is building, you know, my little universe so that I can invite other artists in and provide opportunities, just like many, many people did for me developing as an artist. Yeah. I mean, quickly, what instruments do you play? What instruments do I play? Well, I'll tell you, I don't play <laughs> uh, any like horns or, you know, wind instruments. I don't play inst any instruments that you have to bow, you know? Mm -hmm. I probably could, but, you know, right now I just really leave it to guitar-style instruments. Mm. You know, if you run a studio, my studio is Inland Wave Studios. If you run a studio and you're producing and creating in that environment, or if you're... Oh, the other thing, I, I sometimes uh, score films as well. Um, you obviously have to have some knowledge of, of how to play a keyboard or MIDI controller. But ultimately, you know, drummers, please forgive me, but you can sample a lot of drum sounds and fake out the audience. But drummers, you're welcome. In this, nothing sounds as good as a real drummer in the studio. There's just so much air and movement and lingering realness that happens when you have these, you know, real artists playing real instruments, but you can fake a heck of a lot of stuff in the studio. What's your songwriting process like? My songwriting, there is no specific rule mm. to songwriting. I think that's important to me. You know, I think a lot of artists struggle with that notion that there's no real rule to songwriting or the process. But like I said before, if you try to do something that's way avant-garde, people may not dig it. But you know what? So what? You know, do your thing. So for me, you know, I'll sit down with a guitar. Generally speaking, I'll some interesting, like you said, turn of phrase. I like to write songs that have a really up-tempo feel that aren't too like introspective and sad. And so a lot of that, I found that I tend to write almost the first lyric of the song first. And usually it's some sort of rhythmic, syllabic mm -hmm. phrase, something that sort of gets me down the path of writing a song. And then I kind of work that out. And then what I do is because, again, because I've really forced myself to learn how to record and engineer, which I encourage every artist now to just do, you know, figure out how to record yourself. On your smartphone, use the app that can record you so you just never forget any ideas. Then what happens if I'm feeling like this song is going to work? 
you know, that there's wings to it. I'll start, I'll get in and I'll record some guitar lines. I'll record the, what, you know, we used to call scratch tracks, mm. you know, just an ugly vocal, ugly guitar thing. But it, it's on the click track, which is basically, for those aren't musicians, <laughs> it's in rhythm. It's on the beat. It's sort of a back and forth. And people who come in and out of my studio must really hate the process because I'll just loop a section of a song, play it, and just sit there with my, you know, my head in my hands, trying desperately to find what I want to say. Or, you know, the turn of phrase that I find is really compelling and interesting. And oftentimes you have no idea what you're writing, or I don't, that it is actually like meaningful until mm -hmm. I go back and listen again. I'm like, oh, wow, I said something pretty cool right there. My songwriting process has really gone into that universe of it's a simultaneous experience with recording. Mm -hmm. And I'll sort of envision the track as it plays out and then try to fit in the pieces and the flow. That's how it works for me. Beautiful. I had someone in studio once who described it as the feeling of putting a puzzle together. Exactly. For sure. And it's really cool to be able to produce out that puzzle at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it takes some effort to realize some puzzle pieces don't work. Yeah. You know? Oh, and we feel precious. <laughs> I know. That's the other thing that's super important that I've learned over the years is you cannot be married to any specific idea. That's a phrase that, that I use. You cannot be committed to this idea that, oh, what I've written is perfect. Because it may not be. Yeah. The amount of crappy songs that I've written, and you have to acknowledge that, you know, it's just part of the process of getting out the good stuff. Mm. And so you have to leave a lot on the cutting room floor. Part of creating music is using whatever tools are in front of you. You know, if that's a guitar, great. If that's a piano, great. If that's a, if that's a pencil and a piece of paper, great. You do that. You shouldn't think about it like, oh, I got to get the most expensive pencil and paper mm -hmm. to make this song better. No, you use what you got. You create. And those are tools for the creative process. Now, our tools include recording software. Our tools include USB microphones. You can build your home studio for like $100 mm. or, sorry, 1,500, 1,500, <laughs> 1,500 rand. I'm, I'm sorry. If, if I say dollars and you're from South Africa, just take the number that I say and quickly multiply it by 15 because I'm, I'm sure you can do that. I mean, you can create your own recording studio in a space in your house for next to nothing mm. and see that as a tool in your songwriting and watch how those elements develop together, you know, to make you a better songwriter. Mm. And then you also have the opportunity to hear what doesn't work and what does work. And that's, it's just a new tool, uh, a new way to develop your songwriting. Mm. If you were to build a little home studio, super basic, and you wanted to create good acoustics for your vocals, Mm. What would you use at home to make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a studio uh, that I have, you know, built. And everywhere I go, I look, you can have a studio in your backpack. Okay, so, so in a studio context, mm. it's a funny thing, right? If you're a singer or a player, you want to capture the cleanest sound possible for your environment, you know, which means you want to reduce. Are, are your listeners mostly musicians? I suspect so. Okay. People who should be musicians. Exactly, I'd um, like to be. So which means you want to reduce as much reverberation. Mm. So not just reverb, but like when we speak, <laughs> here's some science, <laughs> little science moment, sound waves come out of your mouth or your instrument or whatever, and those start bouncing around the room, just mm. like waves in an ocean. And they just kind of start bouncing around and hitting things. And if an ocean wave is, is coming in and it hits a rock, it's going to separate in a bunch of different directions. Mm. And now you're singing into something, a microphone, or playing into a microphone that 
captures sound. And if it's capturing a direct voice as well as some echo of the voice coming in from a different room, well, that's going to make it ultimately, that's going to make it harder to edit and mix into a record. Yeah. So it, it makes it tougher to sound right. Okay. But you'd really be surprised at the context and the environments that people record in, you know, on the on super famous records. Yeah. You know, people aren't in a perfect situation. And I think that's one of the things that listeners need to realize. So yes, you can get, you know, these sound shields, these absorption panels that latch onto the microphone stand. You can put absorption panels in a room and decrease the amount of echoes and uh, reverb that happens in your space. In South Africa, it's uniquely difficult because these walls are cement yeah. on your house or on your whatever. Now, if you really want to treat a, your room that you're in, mm. let's say a bedroom studio, put a bunch of crap in there. There's a reason that studios oftentimes are a bit messy. You know, yes, they have sound absorption panels. I'm looking in, in the studio we're recording in right now, and there's, you know, these traps uh, on the corners to help decrease the sound waves from bouncing around. If you don't want to spend the money to buy all these acoustic panels, honestly, take a mattress and lean it against the wall. I've walked into some high-end studios and there's just like mattresses around, <laughs> couches, you know, like cables hanging off the walls. You know, there's an acoustic reason, and I don't mean an acoustic guitar, there's an acoustic reason why guitars and instruments hang on the walls in the studios because anytime you have uneven surfaces, that's going to break up sound waves. That's yeah. going to break up the sound waves that are coming out of your voice or an instrument. And that's what you want in order to capture as real and direct a sound into a microphone as possible, you know? And that's ultimately what you want because when it goes into the stages where an engineer or producer or yourself as an artist go to mix everything together, you know, you've recorded all the instruments, you've recorded the voices, you're going to mix it all together, right? You're going to add some extra EQ to bring out certain qualities, mm. you know, to maybe compensate for that super cheap USB microphone you're using. Yeah. You want to be able to have as clean a signal to manipulate, to make fit in a mix, you know, because if you've got one kind of echo or reverb on one instrument, and then you've placed the microphone in a different place to record your voice, you know, you're going to have two different weird echoes happening at the same time. And it, it, it's possible to edit those out for sure. Like I said, musicians always keep in mind, never believe any record you hear anymore, any song on the radio. They've all been recorded in the most random environments, in the most random ways. Like almost no record is recorded in a perfect sound. Oh, there was a pop on the P there. So, so yeah, it's a good idea to get a pop filter. No record is recorded in a perfect environment with perfect sound isolation and stuff like that. And you know what? As listeners, we're used to hearing in everyday life sound bouncing off different walls. We're not used to hearing perfect sound. Yeah. So actually stuff that's recorded in too perfect of a situation becomes difficult to listen to as a listener because it's not real. Mm. You know, so you look for a little bit of life, a little bit of mistakes in what you're recording. But yeah. if you want to capture as clean and direct a vocal as possible. Don't think that you can only do that in a high-end studio with a $10,000 microphone. Mm. It's not true. Use what you got. Use what's in front of you. I recorded through a iPhone headset microphone once. It sounded pretty cool. Yeah. You know, use it. Go with that. Don't be shy about experimentation. Yeah. But there are little subtle things you can do to treat whatever room you're in. Don't record in a bathroom, okay? Mm -hmm. A small space that's cement walls and tile is going to create a lot of unwanted stuff bouncing around. 
unless you hang massive carpets and didn't treat your bathroom, which <laughs> we don't want to do that. Yeah. So avoid recording in your bathroom. Vocalist, uh, unless you can do some real close isolation to block sound, don't be shy about singing in a sort of a more open environment. Or put a mattress in, into a corner and sing, you know, two feet away from that. But there are all kinds of really creative solutions. If you're a musician recording at home, the, the end goal is to do what you can to reduce the amount of sound that's bouncing around the room and going back into the microphone. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be able to capture as clean and direct a sound as possible. Wonderful. I felt like you were talking directly to me when you spoke about the super cheap USB microphone. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You've got a fantastic voice and a really cool thing going, by the way. I love Thanks. your stuff. Yeah. Thank you very and it just, just, you know, a voice like yours needs to be captured, pushed through in the mix so that it's very, you know, that the listener really pays attention. You know, and if you're singing in a bathroom and you've got all these other echoey voices of yours going around, well, that just, it's a vibe, but it may not be the right vibe. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So you're also a dad. Turns out. Turns out. And I'm a dad and I know it. A lot of people may not know that they're dads, but I do. <laughs> and how has being a dad impacted your music career? It's been awesome and terrible at the same time. You know, we can be yeah. honest about that. Yeah. But mostly awesome because it, it sort of showed me kind of what's important in life. You know, when I die, I don't need a bunch of record executives standing over my grave being like, oh, we really miss that guy. No, I need, I need a solid family. I need a legacy through well-adjusted kids. But I'm a musician. I'm a producer. So my kids are around, are around music all the time. Yeah. And, you know, early days before kids, I was touring on the road. And uh, that's a tough life. It's an annoying life. It's fun. But, you know, don't be fooled. It's not glorious. It's kind of tiring. And I think when kids came along, I had this sort of retrospect perspective of realizing, oh, I never really wanted to spend my life touring, you know, and go back to an apartment with my cats. Yeah. I don't have cats, by the way. <laughs> I've known a ton of touring artists, and that kind of ends up being their life. With kids on the scene, I have the opportunity really to be around in their life as much as possible. And it is easier once they start going to school. My mm -hmm. kids are elementary school age. Uh, it's tougher when they're super young and just needy in that regard. Yeah. But I've wanted to uh, have that musical aspect of my life and that music production aspect of my life available to my kids, you know, and I think that that's really important for their growth as human beings to feel like music and artistry and songwriting and now again, recording, you know, my daughter comes home from school. She's like, are we going to record my song, dad? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like mixing another record. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Hold on. Hold that thought. You know, it has really obviously presented challenges. Yeah. And I was thinking about this actually. So my studio is at my house, right? And I'm thinking, I was thinking back about all the studios that I've been in, Grammy winning engineers and producers and stuff that's like you've heard. And it's like recorded out of bedrooms and houses of these artists. Also, you know, side note to you musicians, don't be bothered by the fact that you don't have a multi-million dollar facility to have access to, because honestly, the majority of what you're hearing is recorded out of someone's, you know, side room in their house. Mm -hmm. See, and we're talking Grammy winning records. The thing is, uh, my kids oftentimes just walk right into that room yeah. and walk right into the studio and they're like, hey, dad. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I mean, that's a cool vibe for the song when you someone's saying, hey, dad, but... You know, so being able to create boundaries and understand that there are times when I have to be focused in recording and stuff like that. But I also never, ever want to create a scenario where my kids come away feeling like music is more important than them. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you have to have boundaries and, you know, you can't have 
uh, your kids walking in on a session, you know, when you're recording an amazing fiddle player on a song and all of a sudden you're getting an amazing take and all of a sudden it's, hey, dad, <laughs> can we record my song? I'm like, no. That's the cool thing about having kids. Plus, it brings out a whole level of creativity in me that, you know, I'm also uh, releasing a kid's record, which is oh. super fun. Yeah, super fun. And it's fun to kind of actually use my kids as a sounding board. Like, hey, does, kid, does this song suck or is it good? And kids will never tell you like, oh, it totally sucks. Mm. But you can tell when it's not working in a kid's, kid's world. But it has been super fun for me to develop this kind of alter ego as a, with a kid's music project. You know, still my same style of songwriting, but kid-focused. I, I put it in that pre-tween age, and it's super fun because there are no rules to kids' yeah. music. It's just like, let's be insane. Cool. <laughs> and let's record it. Awesome. Let's put a completely random sound in this song. Great. That translates over to other stuff that I work on. Yeah. I'm like, why, if I'm going to put this crazy sound in this kid song, what happens if I put it in this, you know, grown-up song, you know? Yeah. And it's fun. You know, one of the things for my, I call it tricked-out tricycle. Yeah. Because why not? Uh, and for some reason, I'm trying to separate my name as Andrew Jed from this kid stuff. I don't know why. I probably shouldn't, but it's what I'm doing anyway. So yeah. tricked-out tricycle. And uh, part of the vision for what I'm doing is actually to create an engaging scenario where kids are almost engaging with their parents, almost like, you know, a Pixar film where, like, parents think it's funny and the references are good and relatable, but the kids also get it too. So that's kind of what drives me behind my kids' stuff, you know? And then ultimately they're sharing the same song and maybe there's a pop reference or something in that or some, oh, look, all of us parents were live in the 80s and 90s and, you know, and we're going to think it's funny if a song references MC Hammer or something, yeah. you know? And, like, the kids don't know that. So it's like, what what is that reference? And so the parent has an opportunity to actually engage in the song with the kid, you know? So cool. I think that that's a, a, a needed thing you know so mm -hmm. with with your stuff as well it's about engaging the parents with the kids because we all know that as parents listening to crappy kids music totally sucks because no. you, <laughs> you just want to play it over and over yeah. ah. <laughs> okay so let's go to the depressing section for a moment oh, well. music industry challenges ah. <laughs> what do you think some of them are that musicians today are facing well for one that the music industry is a challenge like, yeah. So music industry challenges is that the music industry is challenging. Yeah. You know, look, the, the longer you spend in the music industry, the more you realize that trends change. And no matter what your level of success or fame is, everybody experiences the bottom falling out. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think you've got a good thing going and then for no reason, no explicable reason, people just stop paying attention to you. Yeah. You know, and you're like, what? Did I lose my edge? Did I did do this. And, you know, honestly, that's our own sense of self-worth and perspective on our own skill is one of the biggest music industry challenges, mm -hmm. the sense that you're not good enough, you know, yeah. you know, and, and because no matter how good you are and, you know, hopefully well-known artists who have success as well as indie artists who are hoping for some are listening to this podcast yeah. and artists can always resonate with the idea that like one day you wake up and people just aren't listening to your stuff and that's hard. And then you go through this process of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm no good. I've lost my edge. Well, you're no different than you were before. Mm. The industry landscape changes without you even being aware of it. But from an industry standpoint, obviously, you know, one of the biggest challenges in the music industry, which is kind of a benefit to artists, is the whole streaming audio concept. It's a funny challenge 
you know, because you'd think that it would actually have taken away a lot of income for the record industry. It's actually almost doubled the income mm. that the record industry receives through streaming. However, streaming audio, um, we call it pirating of music, whatever you want to call it. It's not that anymore. It used to be. Uh, now it's just how we receive music. Yeah. has happened so fast that a lot of labels, a lot of music lawyers and attorneys, a lot of the government systems, because there's government systems in place to make sure that, you know, uh, intellectual property artists receive income. The streaming universe has taken off so quickly that that these other aspects of the industry haven't had a chance to catch up. Yeah. So money that is being generated from these aspects of the industry is not finding its way to the artists largely because the labels haven't or haven't figured out how to get it to them or who actually gets the money. It's not part of the contracts. Yeah. And a little side note for indie artists out there, of which I am one. I mean, I've always been pretty fiercely indie. There's this kind of conception that record labels are out to screw you. You know, that the, the difficulty in the music industry is the people in the suits, you know, things like that. Even though I'm an indie artist, I've been around long enough to say, don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Record labels want to see you succeed. Don't be afraid of a record contract. Everybody wants to see you succeed. You want to see yourself succeed, right? The people in the suits want to see you succeed. They just, some people in suits want more of your money than others. <laughs> so... If you have the opportunity to sign a record deal, pay attention to the contract. And if you are confused by it, get someone in there who can explain what's in there. If something goes south in your record deal, people always blame the record label. No, a, a record label is a business. Everyone wants to see you succeed. But the landscape has totally changed. You know, record labels are not entirely necessary, artists are finding. You know, it is more possible to be an indie artist used to be that to be an indie artist before streaming audio, you had to like pay or produce your own thing and then get out on the road and tour it. And that was super fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you build up a market here, build up a market there. And the next thing you know, you're selling, you know, cassette tapes, mm -hmm. you know, or CDs, which nobody really wants anymore. Yeah. Totally unenvironmental. That landscape has changed and record labels are a little freaked out about it. But because it's so possible to get your music out there, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Which means... It's really challenging to rise above the white noise that is out there. Of course, we live in a social media era, right? So I'm not necessarily a youngster. I'm not old. But, you know, I was before this interview, I was talking about how in the, in, in the 90s, you know, when we played a big theater show, the band I was in, the, you know, they designed posters and they'd say, okay, you guys and your street team, you go out and you hang these posters all over the town. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, it's the 90s, so everyone's depressed. So they're all, you know heads are hanging down looking at the ground. I'm like, I'm going to put posters on the sidewalk so people at least see them on the sidewalk. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. Now we promote ourselves through social media. Yeah. And, and that includes YouTube. YouTube is actually the number one resource for how people receive music. You know, and, and not just videos, but like, yeah, records. So YouTube is hugely influential, you know, in that regard. So people who are kind of of a certain era, we're a little bit... We can be a little bit dinosaur-y with like, okay, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I feel like my grandma here. And um, a, a big challenge for most artists is that sense of self-worth we were talking about earlier. And if you don't have 20,000 likes on your song, two things sort of happen. One, you feel like you suck, yeah, which is not true yeah. at all. And two, you feel like no one's going to take you seriously as an artist because mm -hmm. you feel like, oh, that's the only litmus test for my quality. So I'm never going to get ahead. People don't think I'm a serious artist, mm. but that's totally false. You guys, 
uh, out there in, in social media land. Don't let that destroy who you are. And you're creating some good stuff out there. Basically, the biggest challenge is, I think, in the music industry today is that it's a very crushing time for artists. Yeah, it is. You can really get hung up on this idea that you're not doing a good job because people aren't responding on social media or your YouTube videos aren't taken off. And that's not the case. You got to keep creating and writing content. We all write crappy songs. Just because you don't have a hit song charted yet doesn't mean you haven't written a hit song. Mm. Don't fall in the trap. We live in an indie era of the music industry. There's money to be made. And if you fall into the trap of really getting down on yourself as an artist thinking that, oh, I can't seem to crack having 200 followers on Instagram, don't freak out. Keep writing your songs. Keep producing your content because that is not a fair assessment of your skill yeah. and of your worth as an artist. You know, don't feel like you got to follow what somebody else did. You change the music industry with your own creativity. And, well, for one, it either works or it doesn't. <laughs> but you'll feel good about it, you know. Fabulous. I mean, that is some incredible advice there. So, throughout this interview, you've given a lot of advice. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's wonderful. That's the whole point of this whole podcast, actually, is to share the knowledge. But in light of everything else, the challenges... And so many people quitting the industry um, after COVID. What last bit of advice would you give indie artists to keep them doing this? I can totally answer that. I am drawn to music that is fearless. I'm drawn to artists that think outside the box. I'm drawn to artists that feel like, hey, like we said at the very beginning, there's no rules to songwriting. Yeah, there's ideas that are better than others. So my encouragement to artists is for one, don't give up because you actually probably never really want to anyway. Yeah. If you're a songwriter, if you're an artist, you're never going to not be that. So don't be afraid of being fearless in your songwriting. Don't be afraid of the notion that because you don't have a hit song that's charted, because you don't have a SAMA or whatever, that you got nothing to offer. Mm. doesn't mean you're not capable of a hit song. But remember that not every song you write is going to be great. Not every song you write is worth recording, but you got to get through that other thing. The other, the other, you asked for one piece of advice, but I'm going to give you two. Read. Mm. Read books. Get those words flowing through your head. I find that I'm the most prolific as a writer when I've just been reading. So fill your time with reading and, to, and listening to other songs. Take that inspiration and get your head full of words and rhyme schemes and use the resources that are online. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of rhyming websites. Yeah. Use those. And, and don't stop writing. Don't stop being fearless. Don't stop breaking the box that you think a song has to be written in. Who says it has to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, out? Yeah. Nobody says that. Look at a Dylan tune. You know, Bob Dylan, ew, you know, it's like <laughs> songs are like the freaking craziest thing. But he wrote like everything. Yeah. You know, and so you can do that. You can do that. Bear in mind, it doesn't have to come out perfect. Yeah. One song will lead into the next, and that's, that's the ultimate goal. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yay. Okay, good. So um, <laughs> social media links, how can people find you? Yeah, okay, for sure. So at Andrew Jedstagram, mm -hmm. my Instagram, 
Facebook is Andrew Jed, whatever. I don't have Twitter, but I actually am, am contemplating Twitter account. I'll let you know that. Not that I want to espouse any political insight because that's stupid. <laughs> I just maybe want to post song lyrics from time to time. Yeah. You know, I think that's, I say what I need to say through songs. I'll be launching the, the studio's Instagram page soon. Nice. And then at Tricked Out Tricycle is for the kids stuff. Mm-hmm. And I make, you know, I'm doing a bunch of really fun, wacky videos. Of course, oh, there's YouTube, uh, Andrew Jed. I actually think that over time I've developed like three or four different channels. I don't know. Try to figure out which one you like. And Spotify, everything's up on, I have tons of music up on all streaming services. Perfect. Thank you. This Thank has been you. a really fun interview. Oh, my goodness. It's been fun for me, too. If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntoy.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Please, please break me and stop that train. I want to get on. Was in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong mind. In a backseat full of moonshine. There's a hollow on the rim of the Colorado. I know I got a good friend. Living up in Silverton. Give me a chance. Break me and break me and rev it back. Let me get back on track. Right, right. Take me down the river where the river meets the moonlight. Inside. Yeah, the Union Pacific took a great divide Hey, break, man, I got silver on the other side Pay you for your trouble when we hit side And break a ticket down the river like a hurricane Yeah, break, man, break, man, give me a shot Rev it back and let me show you what I got We're gonna let it ride The break, man, say Get yourself a ticket or get out of